Welcome back to the Stronger by Science Fireside Chat series. I'm your host, Greg Knuckles, joined today by my temporary guest host, Eric Trexler. Yeah, thanks for having me on. And everyone that's listening that continues to email and message Greg begging for you to come back, go ahead and keep up the good work. Um, It seems like he's really breaking down and giving in, which is fantastic. Don't do that. Okay, let's get right into it with this episode. Um, So (laughs) these are, you know, entirely us answering your questions or talking about subjects you would like us to talk about. And something that a few people asked about clearly indicates that you motherfuckers don't know us at all. Uh, Several people wanted to know what's in our wardrobe. What threads are we rocking these days? Uh, What, you know, when we go out on the street, how do we turn heads? (laughs) So Trex, what what are you rocking these days? Yeah, you know, I have to admit, I know that it's vain, but I am a big time brand guy. You know, it's I've got my clothing brands and I like to stay on brand with them. So I, I view it kind of like luxury cars. You know what I mean? You want to get the whole lineup, the, the SUV, the sports car, all from the same from the same lineup. And uh, for me, I'm a big time George guy. And I know you are too, but I, I'm going to steal your thunder here a little bit. So a lot of people probably know George is the store brand for the I guess you'd say upscale Walmart clothing. So if you're getting your jeans, your dress pants, your dress shirts, your ties, your belts, your workout gear, I'm pretty much George head to toe. Um, there are some some minor... Oh, only because you can't access Fetz or Grays anymore, right? <laughs> that's, that's true. Do you, now you have to explain the concept of Fetz or Grays. Yes. <laughs> so the the gym at UNC is, is called Fetzer Gymnasium. Um, and if you didn't want to bring your own workout clothes, if you're going for a workout or going to play basketball, you could rent what everyone lovingly referred to as Fetzer Grays, which were t-shirts and like cotton gym shorts that I believe UNC purchased in approximately 1978. Um, and that was, that's what, that's what you wore all the time. And... I'm going to tell on you right now, until pretty recently, Trex didn't own socks. He just like, <laughs> he just checked out Fetzer Gray socks and that's all he wore. Okay. Well, first of all, I made good on all that. All the Fetzer Grays, all the socks were returned to their rightful place. Maybe a time or two, I would get a pair of socks behind, you know, and I'd say, oh, there's an extra pair of socks here. I'll wear those today. But I made good. So you're not telling on anything. You know, I'm a upstanding citizen all that stuff got just, just the concept of a functioning adult not owning socks i, I owned some but you know the fetzer grays were really comfortable they were nice <laughs> and they had the they had the, the the t-shirts were all like extra large but really they fit like a double xl oh yeah and uh yeah it, i just felt like i was straight out of like a, a mid-90s bodybuilding training video dude I'm, I'm not gonna lie those shirts were comfortable as hell they were and it was it was like back in the day where everybody just wore those enormous t-shirts that just mm-hmm. kind of hung off your body and man they were great so yeah the fetzer grays were a huge part of the rotation along with the george brand from head to toe um now, there, there are some deviations from that. Um, things that are given to me, I will wear uncritically. What, whatever article of clothing is given to me, I will wear. Um, and I'll, I'll hang on to them for a while. So my current winter coat, you've seen the, uh, the red one that I wear often. 
that was actually purchased for my brother when he was, I think, in ninth grade. So that would have put me right around the age of 12 when that was purchased. And uh, what is that, 16 years later? It's still going strong. It's a high quality, uh, high quality coat, and uh, I'm never going to let it go ever. So uh, I, I do hand me downs big time. I do the George brand. Fetzer Grays are out of the rotation, unfortunately. Um, now a lot of Christmas and birthday gifts going back to uh, as long as I can remember. Uh, luckily, you know my mother. She knows that I would not have clothing unless it was actually forced upon me and given to me. She also is really good at picking out clothes. So. I think uh, every single time I've ever been told, like, hey, you look nice today, I was wearing something that my mother purchased for me. So she she's always right on the money with those, uh, with those purchases. But the problem there is uh, I have a new policy. I hate accumulating things, like material objects of any kind. I consider them to be clutter. They drive me nuts. And so the new policy is no more buying clothing for me. And... Uh, so basically my clothing lineup is set now it, I, that, that door is shut. I have all the clothing <laughs> I'm ever going to have. Um, and, uh, yeah, so, so that's the clothing side. Uh, another thing people, some people know this about me, big time sneakerhead. Um, so last year, I believe it was pay less shoes had a liquidation sale. Um, I think that was the name of the, of the, the brand that, that went out of business, but basically everything in the store had to go. I showed up, I got as many shoes as a person could possibly carry out of a store. <laughs> I don't think I'm ever going to wear shoes again, uh, or, or purchase new shoes again. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, I, I got everything that would kind of fit around my size foot. I purchased and I got out of there. So based on that summary, you're probably wondering, Eric, you know, being this in tune with style, how has that worked out for you over the years? And I have actually been the subject of not one, but two fashion interventions. <laughs> um, when I first got to grad school, uh, my colleagues, wonderful colleagues, they tried to, in a very subtle way, be like, hey, Eric, you should probably dress more like a person would and maybe a little bit more professionally. And I just didn't get the subtle hints. And so eventually they had to be like, dude, what, what's happening? You know, wear some clothing that a, a person would, would typically wear out in public. Mm -hmm. So that was the first intervention. Um, I'm not sure if it really stuck. I tried, but I kind of fell back into old habits. And then uh, a guy that I coach uh, powerlifting with, he was like ah, 65, 70 at the time. He pulled me aside. Uh, I was asking him a bunch of statistics questions because he was a, a, a statistician by trade. And he was like, after this very long-winded question, he just pulled me aside. He's like, dude, forget about the stats. No one cares. What the hell are you wearing? You need to start wearing... like." And so I think once someone above the age of 65 kind of pulls you aside and says, what the hell is going on? Where is your fashion sense? I think that's when you know you, you actually do kind of have a problem there. But... Um, but anyway, that's kind of my approach to clothing. It's worked so far. I'm really happy with how I look every day, and um, I don't get positive comments, but uh, surely I will eventually, I would think. And uh, my advice to people, uh, my final parting piece of advice here when it comes to clothing, collect as many t-shirts as you possibly can from random events, from random companies, random sport teams that you participated on. You can never have too many of those t-shirts. Sometimes you cut the sleeves off, but that is the, the final staple in my wardrobe, and that is pretty much my approach to style. Um, now, Greg, I know fashion's important to you as well, so why don't you tell us what you do for style? 
Yeah, so I own nine shirts, exactly nine, that I bought at Walmart for between 3 and $5 a piece about three or four years ago. Uh, and, and that's all I wear. <laughs> yeah. Now, blue is a big fixture in that lineup. Uh, yeah, I mean, so red is my favorite color. When I was younger, I had a lot of, of red t-shirts. Uh, Walmart doesn't make that many red t-shirts, unfortunately. So a lot of blues, a lot of grays, a lot of greens. Um, and by a lot of each, I mean like I have approximately two shirts of each of those colors. Um, and yeah, that's, that's all I wear uh, on my upper body. And then I have three pairs of identical black athletic shorts that I cycle through. Uh, they are all at least five years old. Um, I had one and only one jacket that I wore every day in the winter for about five years. Um, it recently started, like the pocket started tearing off of it. It started getting holes in it, uh, has a lot of stains, etc. So I found another identical version of the same jacket and now I wear that all the time. Um, when I went to grad school, I didn't want to have to think about what I wore. So I went to, you guessed it, Walmart and bought five identical UNC shirts and two identical pairs of slacks just so I could put on essentially my uniform every day. Um, and yeah, that's, uh, that's my style. Um, I, so one, one big upgrade I did make recently is I used to only wear like those 10 to $12 Walmart slip-on shoes. I recently up upgraded to a pair of $25 Skechers. Um, they were on sale. They're very comfortable. They seem like they're going to be more durable than the Walmart shoes. Um, I am a little concerned that I may be experiencing lifestyle creep. So just, you know, this business is going pretty well, making more money. I I'm afraid that this increase in my shoe budget may just completely ruin our household finances. Um, well, as a percent increase, it is a pretty pretty dramatic change oh yeah i mean i, I started recently spending 150 percent more on shoes so that's yeah you know that that's something to keep in mind um but yeah no i i consistently look like trash and unlike you who who has had two interventions i've had dozens of attempted interventions and uh they just don't go anywhere because i I'm, I'm very much like uh a comfort above all type person. It's like all of my shirts are two sizes too big. Um, my athletic shorts are baggy and long. I just feel good, you know? Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I never leave the house anyways. So like, who cares? Now there was a moment when we were, we were at an event in coastal Carolina that, that we were both speaking at. It was like, a, <laughs> it was an event. <laughs> so, this was an event for the ISSN. Uh, a good friend of mine, Jason Kaliva, uh, was mm -hmm. running it. He, he's been on the podcast. Um, and Greg and I were both supposed to speak, and Greg was speaking last. And I remember it was like 45 minutes before Greg's talk, and he's wearing the gym shorts and the T-shirt. And then it's like 30 minutes before the talk, and he's wearing the gym shorts <laughs> and the T-shirt. And I was like... You know, I know this isn't like the fanciest event of all time, but you are speaking at an academic event. And I was very <laughs> concerned 
that you were actually going to go speak. And, and then finally, right at the last minute, you ended up stepping out of the room and changing. And I got to breathe that sigh of relief because I was like, I think he's going to go for it. Th- this is a consistent theme just with our our friendship. You think that I am a much worse <laughs> and and much more socially unaware person than I actually am. Like it's so, true. <laughs> like so, dear listener, whenever we hang out with like some of Eric's friends, or like when he was when he was dating before, if he brought a new girl over, he would he would like stress <laughs> the importance to me of like not coming across as a complete piece of shit <laughs> and like not making a bunch of off color jokes. And it's just like, dude, Trex. You've known me for years at this point. <laughs> We've gone through many of these situations together. I haven't done that. Like, that's not what I do. Like, I I am not the same person with, like, people I don't know or, like, in a formal situation as I am when it's just, like, two dudes hanging out. But, like, I think you think that I'm a complete piece of shit, honestly. <laughs> no, that's not true. But... The- <laughs> There have been times where I've brought you specific topics that are off limits. <laughs> when I've been, when I've brought somebody over, yeah. but like you're not allowed to talk about these things. Mm-hmm. So, so there is some truth to that. But no, you know me. My personality is I like to plan for everything, and so I'll say I trust that Greg isn't going to say this. <laughs> but what would be better than trusting would be to officially make a statement about it. <laughs> and, <laughs> Let's set some policy in place for dinner this evening. Yeah, yeah, but like you don't say that to Lindsay. No, well, Lindsay, Lindsay is a much better person than you in virtually all ways. I mean, you're not wrong, but it's. I don't think that there's like a magnitude of difference in like interpersonal awareness between the two of us. No, I, so the problem is I get to hang out with you in more private right, settings yeah. and circumstances. So I know what you're capable of saying. And that makes me a little bit nervous sometimes. Yeah, but I never say that stuff. I know, but it's it's like one of those things where there could just be one erroneous, like the message just gets through your brain filter and then then it's a catastrophe. So so I just, I like to make sure that we are uh, transparent about what's off limits at that particular engagement. Fair enough. Um, now, one thing I want to stress before we move on. I mean, going back to the ISSN conference. Yeah, go ahead. It would have been fine. <laughs> it would have been fine. So, so the thing about that conference is like, I don't know, seems like maybe 80% of the attendees, probably more, were students who were, who were just going for, I don't know what, extra credit, like taking a class where they had to go to events or whatnot. I don't know. But there were a lot of butts in the seats and a lot of very young faces in the crowd early in the day. And I think that by the end of the day, they had been to enough to get the credit they needed to get. It would appear so, yeah. So this is not an exaggeration. I had the last talk of the day, theoretically the keynote. I mean, I'm not one for labels, but I'm going to call it a keynote. I got up to speak and (laughs) most of the speakers were gone. Jason was still there. You were still there. Like some some of the other speakers and organizers were there, but in terms of attendees <laughs> who weren't like formal formally associated with the event, there were three attendees left in the audience. Is that is that a specific number? It was three. Yeah. Oh boy. Uh, there were eight people total, and five were either like 
Jason, other organizers, other speakers. Yeah. There were three attendees. No so, fault of Jason's, by the way. We so, love Jason. Oh, no, no. Absolutely not. Um, but yeah, I could have I got up there naked. Like, it would have been... <laughs> it would have had the exact same effect on a comparable number of people. <laughs> That's probably true. <laughs> okay. Um, now, before we move on from clothing, like I was saying, I want to stress one thing. Now, we are often very sarcastic on the podcast, my concern is that someone's going to think that we're being some elitist, classist assholes with this. I cannot stress enough that this is exactly how both of us dress. We're, we're not like joking around of like, oh yeah, I get my clothes at Walmart. We get our clothes at Walmart exclusively. And I, I want to make sure people don't think we're like, you know, being smart asses about it. Y yeah, yeah, no. Um, I used to get more clothes at yard sales. I don't have as much time for yard sailing anymore. Yeah. Um, also, I used to get... So, the thing about my current wardrobe is, like I said, I have exactly nine shirts I bought at Walmart. And they've just held up really well. Like, they've made it a long time. Were I to rest like restock my t-shirt collection, uh, yard sales would be on the table. Goodwill would be on the table. The top price that I would ever be willing to spend for a t-shirt, I don't know, seven bucks, maybe. Actually, you know, um, my, my girlfriend did recommend a topic that actually fits in perfectly here. The question was, aside from shoes, what do you think is the most expensive item of clothing you've ever bought? Like the dollar amount. Hmm. So I have owned some more expensive items of clothing mostly stuff mm -hmm. that like my parents bought for me when i was still in high school um so like i have some bow ties that were reasonably expensive oh wow i would not have guessed that oh like w when i dress up i wear a bow tie um that that's my thing um and i have uh like a uh what's it called an under armor hoodie for harding university which oh, is where yeah. i did my undergrad um that was pretty pricey but in terms of things i've purchased myself Okay, okay, so this is kind of cheating, but I did get a specific um, a specific bow tie for my wedding. Mm -hmm. But like that that's that's a wedding garment. Yeah, so that's it not really count. that's not the same. Um, I bought a pair of shoes. It was like forty bucks maybe. But you said no shoes. I said no shoes, yeah. Man, I'm flailing around. I mean it could um, couldn't be more than thirty dollars, right? It's probably not more than twenty. Yeah, I, um, I wouldn't think so. So I, I had some uh, some sport coats mm -hmm. that I got at Goodwill, ah, and yep. sport coats at Goodwill are still eighteen bucks. Nice. So I I had like three eighteen dollars sport coats, and I think I think that is the most expensive non shoe article of clothing I've ever bought. You know, my parting comment is that I actually think you need an intervention more than I did. Oh, I'm sure I do, but I I so I have enough like decent articles of clothing from my youth that when I go out in public I can still look presentable it's just like you know for kicking around the house I just want to be comfortable I hear you man all right so what's the most expensive article of clothing you've ever bought mm, I, I did finally uh within the last couple of years I got a nice winter coat that's not like a ski kind mm -hmm. of coat if I go skiing I'm wearing the one from when oh. I was 12 you've seen it no no no, no? so I completely whiffed on something. Mm -hmm. I, I did get a nice coat and some thermal pants for Iceland. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's that's important. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I got I got a nice coat. I got it uh, at Old Navy on a Black Friday sale. I think it was fifty dollars, and I think that anchors the high end of my my clothing scale for sure. But uh, my average price per garment couldn't be more than eleven dollars. I, I just don't see how it'd be possible. Mm-hmm. But uh, but yeah, so that that's clothing advice from us, and much like our relationship advice, uh, probably wouldn't utilize it. Well, so so here's one thing I'll say, um, and and I think that I think that I'm probably fortunate in that I can do this. Uh, but part of how I present how I present myself in day to day life is intentional, because um, like. If there is something that does really grind my gears, it's people who are just like super elitist. Um, and like, yeah. So I, I want to see how people will treat me when they meet me. If they, you know, if they're going to make negative assumptions about me based on how I look. Yeah. Um, if I'm presenting myself how I typically do and someone's still pretty cool, then I'm like, okay, you've passed the first test. We could potentially be friends. Um, but yeah, that's... So the, it, it is partly strategic. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do know how to dress well and present myself well. And I do have some nicer stuff in my closet that I just literally never wear. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I, I want to see how people will treat me if I don't put in the effort to present myself well. Yeah, you, you don't want people to treat you differently or take you more seriously just because you're like super buttoned up and dressed super well, basically. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, that, that makes sense. For me, I just have no interest in clothing whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not doing it intentionally. I'm just like, well, I could get a shirt for $31 or for 8 I'm going to get the 8 Yeah, yeah. Almost always. That makes sense. Um. All right. Uh, so, yeah, like I said, that that is Stronger by Science clothing um, advice. Not sure if I would necessarily take much of it, but it's there. It exists. And now you've heard it. <laughs> that is true. Um, now, someone asked us about defining moments of our lives. And that that's a very interesting uh, prompt to talk about because I know for me there's one very specific that I have in mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's quite an interesting story that really is relevant to like what I do with Stronger by Science. So um, I remember very specifically one day, uh, I know I've told this story on some podcasts, but I don't think it's ours. You know, you and I both talk into microphones countless hours per month. Like, I don't know where it went, but it's somewhere out there. Yeah, yeah. But um, I was walking home from the gym and I was in full dreamer bulk mode. You know, we've talked about that on the podcast. I weighed... 20 pounds more than I had any business weighing at the time, but I was fully bulked up and just like a rock, just a big mass. And, uh, I was walking home from the gym thinking about how my workout went and, uh, kind of just walked right in front of a car. Like <laughs> I, I thought that it was a, a, uh, one way street, but it was mm-hmm. actually a two way street. And so that, that that's a big mistake. <laughs> you want to make sure you know where cars are coming from on the street. You, you only looked in half as many directions as you should have. Correct. Yeah. So so I, I basically walked in front of this car that was driving. There was no traffic. So like it, it got me pretty good. It's not like it was like in stop and go traffic mm-hmm. or anything. So anyway, I get nailed by this car. Um, totally my fault. But uh, somehow, you know, kind of walk away from it totally unscathed. Like, I don't, I still don't really get it, but uh, the angle was right. Something about it was right. 
And the only thing that really hurt was I landed with my hand outstretched and I kind of bruised my palm. So like I was lifting the next day. I just had to be careful about where the bar went. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? And at that time I was in that cycle that I try to talk young bodybuilders out of. Um, and the same applies to powerlifters too, I would think. But a lot of times as a young bodybuilder, you want to do your first show, but you're like, you know what? I don't think my arms are big enough. And so you take six, eight weeks, you focus on your arms. They're bigger now. And you go, okay, my arms are better, but now that I think about it, my legs are kind of small. And then you focus on your legs for a couple months and you say, ah, before I go on stage, I better improve my chest a little bit. You know, you, there's always something that you want to fix before you get on stage, mm -hmm. you know? Because uh, you feel like your physique is 25 years in the making. It's not just like, ah, oh, here's what I did this past year. Yeah. So I was in that cycle of thinking about competing and never pulling the trigger and just doing it. I got hit by the car and somehow didn't get hurt uh, essentially at all. And uh, at that point, I realized I need to do a bodybuilding show now. Otherwise, I'm going to get sick or I'm going to get hurt or I'm going to walk in front of another car. Like I'm going to do something stupid that's going to prevent me from being able to actually do a prep and compete for the first time in your life it gave you a sense of your own mortality i guess so yeah or, or at least like hey i'm pretty lucky that i'm healthy enough to actually train mm -hmm. right now so i didn't feel like i could just delay this forever yeah so i did a bodybuilding show loved it was absolutely fascinated by the process um bodybuilding got me into powerlifting. My interest in both of those things got me into really evaluating the evidence behind the fitness information I was consuming. At that time, I was an exercise science major and I, I intended to, to become a physical therapist. But the interest in the evidence-based side of things and the research underlying the, the, the recommendations I had seen in so many different places, that got me interested in actually doing research within the field of exercise science and sport nutrition. So Getting hit by that car, um, which again was just kind of a random occurrence, got me into bodybuilding, got me into powerlifting, got me into research, caused me to shift my my uh, graduate school plans and ultimately shift my entire career trajectory. So, you know, honest to God, I don't know if I didn't get hit by that car that day, I really don't know if I would be working in this field. I, I think most likely I would be working as a physical therapist, which is of course a fantastic profession. But uh, it would have been a very different trajectory for me, I think. So, mm -hmm. so whenever someone asks me of a, a big, pivotal, defining moment in my life, that is the only one that really sticks out as totally different from the rest. No, I mean, that that's uh, a good vignette. And I also think it's, it's good advice for people listening. Like, you know, if you're casting about, you don't really know for sure what you want to do with your life. Just like walk in traffic for a little bit. Uh, it's, it's really good for, for giving you that sense of clarity. I thought you were going to be serious. I, yeah, you snuck up on me there. I thought you were going to actually give good advice. Um, but, uh, but no, I, I would imagine there are probably some power lifters out there who are thinking, I'd kind of like to compete to see what it's all about, but I don't want to compete until I have a insert total number or until I'm benching blank. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Wanting to hit a threshold before you get into it. And I think uh, in some cases it makes sense to say, let's go ahead and dive in and see what we can do. You yeah. Know? yeah. It, that doesn't mean everyone should compete immediately, but there are instances where you've kicked that can down the road a little bit too long and it's time, it's time to dive in, mm -hmm. you know? Uh, what about you? Do you have any uh, major defining moments? Uh, so kind of. Um, not quite as dramatic as getting hit by a car, but 
I, I also had something that on its face was not such a good thing happen to me that, that ended up putting me on the path I'm currently on, which which thus far seems to be a pretty good path. So uh, I was big into sports growing up, played football, basketball, baseball, soccer, played the last three going into high school. Um, after freshman year of high school, I was already into lifting, uh, but lifting primarily for, for football and basketball, more so basketball than football, um, went to football camp that summer. And it was kind of like the reverse of your case because I was the metaphorical car in, in this <laughs> situation. Um, but so I, I was uh, I was a defensive lineman and tight end slash slot receiver. And we were doing pursuit drills. And I was the only I was I was the only person on the defensive line who was also a skilled player on offense. And so I was the designated ball carrier to to like help all of these other defensive linemen learn about pursuit angles. Um, and I was I was a sophomore um, who who was probably going to play on varsity that upcoming year. So it was all of the varsity defensive linemen, and we had some big old boys on the team. Um, and most of them just took like dog shit pursuit angles. So I didn't take that much physical abuse either, like make it look like I'm going to cut inside and just beat them up the sideline or cut back in. And it was all fine. But then this one guy who his nickname was Meat, and that will give you some idea of what his physical complexion was. Uh, Meat, unfortunately, took a very good pursuit angle. And so I had really no choice but to try to run him over and so keep in mind at this moment in my life I'm probably like 155 160 like I was on the defensive line through sheer grit and meanness like I didn't belong there I was I was a much more t like prototypical slot receiver um so so meat had about 120 pounds on me but I was like well whatever like gotta do what I gotta do so like I, I just lowered my head. This is before we knew that concussions were a thing that happened and and were bad. Um, <laughs> so I just lowered my head and put it right in Meat's face mask and ran him straight over. Um, and I was like, oh, he didn't wrap me up. This is going fine. And that was like my last thought. And then I woke up in a puddle of my own vomit. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> so I gave myself a pretty bad concussion. <laughs> and... Uh, it, it actually turned out to be a really, really bad concussion. I uh, had to go to the hospital. Um, the The person who like took the x-ray basically said that if I had another concussion of a similar magnitude, um, like I could potentially like wind up in a vegetative state or have very severe brain damage. And so, um, you know, they said, hey, don't do sports with a contact element for a while. So... That obviously knocked me out of football season, and th they said at least six months, so that would have taken through, like, week four of basketball season, so I couldn't try out for basketball either. Those were those were my two main sports. I was pretty tore up about that, and it just so happened that the guy who was coaching me for power, or for uh, just, like, strength training to, to get better at basketball and football was Travis Mash, who now nowadays most people know him as a weightlifting coach, but he was doing all powerlifting back then. He was an incredibly good powerlifter in his own right. Um, he basically said, like, hey, 
there's this sport called powerlifting where I think you'd be pretty good at it. Like you seem better at lifting weights than actual real sports anyways. Um, and if you experience head trauma, it's because you did something very, very wrong. Um, it's, you know, ideally not a sport that you experience head trauma doing. And so that got me into powerlifting. Um, and that's, that's really what put me down the road that I'm currently on. So another like very unfortunate thing, you know, you getting hit by a car, me hitting another person too hard and scrambling my brain. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I was hoping that meat was like when there's like a huge person and they call him tiny as his nickname, but it, no, sound, no, no. it sounds like this one was right on the nose. Yeah. Yeah. His, yeah. his, his name was Demetrius. And so ah, meat was just short for that, but it was also very fitting. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so, uh, you know, that, that's what, that's what initially kind of like put me down, down the road I'm currently on. So yeah, that's, that's that's probably the defining moment in my life up to this point. Yeah. So you got your concussion, and after the concussion, you got into powerlifting, which is smart. That's a good plan. Um, I also, as you know, had concussion issues um, when I was... Uh, I, I wrestled and, and played football as a high school athlete. And uh, for some reason, I, I don't think my thinking was very clear at the time, but when I first like was really sidelined with concussions... Um, you know, I, they kind of let me come back to finish my wrestling career, but it was kind of iffy. Like, I think if it happened today, they would not have allowed me to. Mm -hmm. But after, after I finished my career kind of barely coming back from a concussion, I was like, okay, what do I do now? And what I wanted to do was get, like every high school wrestler, I wanted to get into mixed martial arts. <laughs> and... <laughs> the thing about mixed martial arts is the head trauma is kind of baked into the cake. Yeah. yeah. Um, even if you're good at it, you're getting some head trauma, you mm -hmm. know, eventually. And for some reason, I didn't really think that was an important factor. I was like, ah, I'm sure I'll be slick. You know, I, I won't catch one right on the chin. I'll just do this forever and never get hit. And, and that was a bad plan. So uh, I had a coach that was like one of my wrestling coaches who uh, was also getting into mixed martial arts. Obviously, he, he had been into it for, for like a year or two. Mm-hmm. But he had all the sparring gear, and he was like, "Oh, you're, you want to try this out? Let's give it a shot." And uh, we were, you know, we were just kind of messing around doing some boxing stuff. And uh, you know, he was a much larger person than me and more experienced. And we we tried to kind of, it's kind of like with wrestling, we would do like uh, jujitsu stuff every now and then, and just like, yeah, if you're gonna, you know, feel anything that doesn't feel right, just tap out. We'll be good. You know, we could control it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, man, one time he threw a punch that just couldn't be controlled. And, uh, <laughs> oh, God. God, he caught me just square on the jaw. And uh, oh, it was literal, li literally a single instant in, in which, you know, all my neurons kind of aligned. And they said, I don't think we should be doing this. Mm -hmm. And that was actually the, uh, <laughs> the beginning and the end of my mixed martial arts career. So if you have concussion issues that disrupt your wrestling career, my advice would be not to transition to mixed martial arts because you're probably going to get punched and or kicked or need in the face. Yeah, just stick with playing in traffic. <laughs> exactly. So what I did after that, actually, that's when I started lifting just to get as huge as possible. I didn't know I would end up doing bodybuilding from it, mm -hmm. but that's when I was like, okay, no more wrestling, no more getting punched in the face. Uh, I'm just going to lift heavy stuff as much as I can, eat an obscene amount of protein because I didn't know anything about research at that time. 
and uh, and do my best with that. So so that was when I knew uh, you you were smart to go powerlifting right out of the gate. Um, mixed martial arts was not for me. Well, I mean, yeah. Uh, so <laughs> I I have had one more like head trauma slash sport related scare uh, since then. So after so after I got knocked out of real sports at a very competitive level. Um, I, I couldn't, I couldn't stay away. So, you know, I went from playing like high school basketball to like, whatever, I'll still play rec league basketball. And, and I, I kept playing rec league baseball as well. Um, <laughs> and one time, uh, so I was playing third base and this kid, uh, squared around to bunt. And so I come charging down the line to cover the bunt. And at the last second, he pulls the bat back, swings, line drive. I'm like, how long is the base path? 90 feet? Should be 90 feet, yeah. yeah. So I, I was, I don't know, maybe 35 feet away at that point. Like, I mean, he showed bunt early. Like, I was yeah, ready yeah. for it. Uh, hit a line drive, smacked me right in the face. Like, I still oh, have a scar man. over my nose from it. Like, the laces on the ball open my nose right up. Yeah. Um just just snapped that bone uh i think that like severed like a nasal artery so i was just like i looked like a rhinoceros like blood was just spurting up out of my face oh and if that ball would have been three inches higher and caught me in the forehead like that may have been that second big concussion that i've been trying to avoid (laughs) um so funny story about that that was a Sunday like afternoon into Sunday evening baseball game. Um, and uh, so my family always went to church both Sunday morning and Sunday evening. My parents had left the game maybe 10 minutes before that happened. And I don't remember if if anyone in the family had cell phones yet or like maybe just their phones were turned off, but I had no way to get in touch with them. Um and I was losing enough blood that someone called an ambulance because there was quite a large pool of blood yeah. just on the baseball field. Um, and I realized this is supposed to be like fun, lighthearted fireside <laughs> chat con- content. Yeah, you're I, not very good at this. I, I promise that I'm going to get to something kind of amusing yet possibly in a morbid way by the end of it. Um, so I'm I'm like on there, like I'm on the field on my hands and knees just like, just gushing blood from my face um the ambulance shows up and they basically said like hey uh they took my blood pressure and it was like super low so they're like you've lost a lot of blood you should probably come to the hospital um and like my dad when i was really young had super super good medical insurance and in hindsight like knowing what I know now about the health insurance marketplace in the U S at that time, he still had very good health insurance. It just wasn't like as crazy good as, as it had been previously. But like my parents complained about their health insurance. Um, and so I was just like, Oh shit, I don't know how much it's going to cost my family if I go to the hospital. Yeah. And so I said like, nah, like I'm not getting, I'm not getting in that fucking ambulance. Like you're not going to bankrupt my family. And so (laughs) I shooed them away. Uh, the field was completely unusable at this point. Like they had to call the rest of the game because oh I, my god, yeah, j- just to just to contextualize it. Um, 
so I, I, at the end of the story, I did end up eventually going to the hospital and my blood pressure was like, man, I don't, I don't want to lie to you, but it, it was somewhere in the neighborhood of like 90 over 52. And so they, I forget the exact number that they yeah. put on it, but like they estimated that I'd lost approximately a shit ton of blood. Um, <laughs> yeah. So th the field wasn't usable at this point. The game was called. And so, um, like one of my buddies on my team, uh, like I asked his parents, like, Hey, my parents are at church. Like that's probably where I should go. Um, would you mind dropping me at church? And so they said, they, they looked me up and down and they were like, we'll need to put out a, a towel on like on, on the car seat for you. Right. Um, but sure we can drive you to church. And so I'm I'm covered in blood, just head to toe at this point. Like yeah. the whole front of my shirt caked in blood, like blood running down my baseball pants. There's a lot of blood in this situation. Um, and so my, like my parents were in church, and uh, I got dropped off. I'm like super lightheaded by this point, but I'm, I'm thinking clearly enough to know that I shouldn't walk into the front of the auditorium, um, you know, because that might disrupt people. So I decided, like, ah, I'll, I'll walk in through the back of the auditorium um, and, like, you know, get my parents and, and we can decide what to do from here. And so uh, I walk in the back of the auditorium and our preacher, Claude, he's this, he's just the, he's just the chillest old dude ever. Like, nothing, yeah. nothing would rile him up, completely unflappable. And I walk in the back of the auditorium, I'm trying to make as little noise as possible because, like, I don't want to draw attention to myself, but I, I look like, you know, someone from a war movie. Right. Um, and Claude just, <laughs> Claude just freezes, mouth drops open, like from a cartoon, like just mouth agape. And he was like, young man, are you okay? Yeah. <laughs> and then I'm trying not to draw attention to myself, but every goddamn person in the auditorium turns around <laughs> and like stares at me. And I'm like, well, shit, I feel incredibly out of place now. My plan completely backfired. Thanks, Claude. Oh, uh, and so, like, I get my parents and I was like, can we go to the hospital? <laughs> and they're yeah. like, yes, we can go to the hospital. Um, so anyway, yeah, went to the hospital. Um, they set my nose. They set it kind of crooked. I broke it again a few years later and, like, set it straighter myself, which was good. Um, put a ton of blood in me and then I felt fine had a killer headache for like a week and a half. Um, but yeah, that's that story. But the important thing is it wasn't the, the it wasn't a catastrophic final concussion to end all concussions for you. Correct. You lived to fight another day. I did. And I would say your brain still functions approximately decently. Really as as well as one could hope it to at this point. Yeah, for sure. All right, so there you go. A uh, little bit of injury, a little bit of concussion, a uh, little bit of uh, getting hit by cars. Those are some defining moments in our lives. Um, now, Greg, you on the show have built up a reputation as being a bit of a culinary expert. Um, you know, I, I get to enjoy your cooking firsthand. You've made a lot of uh, very passable dishes in weeks past. So we've gotten a lot of random food questions, and I was thinking the easiest way to do this is I just kind of run them by you. I feel comfortable deferring to you on this. You know a lot more about food than I do. No, I, I think it should be a discussion because now, so just so you guys are aware of, of how this is going to go, 
we're not really talking about the science or application of cooking and food in this segment. We're more talking about the philosophy of food. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. Um, so, so let's dive in and we'll have a, we'll have a discussion. Let's see if we can uh, reach some common ground on some of these topics. All right. Uh, and, and just a, a warning, some of these are very controversial. So I know we're going to get a lot of hate mail, but we're going to dive in. <laughs> uh, number one, is a hot dog a sandwich, a taco, or neither? So in my opinion, I would say a hot dog is a taco. Okay. What, what do you think? So I thought about this and I actually really, it kind of blew my mind. I started to think about what are some of the defining characteristics of a hot dog itself before I put it into the sandwich or the taco category. And so I would answer this question with another question. Is a sub, a submarine sandwich, is that a hot dog? If you think of the shape of the sub bread, you might be looking at a hot dog there. Well, so I, I think the first question you need to ask yourself is what what is the defining characteristic of a hot dog? Mm-hmm. Is it the frankfurter sausage itself? Mm-hmm. Because then the question becomes, well, when is it no longer a frankfurter sausage and thus not a hot dog? So let's imagine a thought experiment. So you have just a standard beef frank on on one side, and then you have a kielbasa on the other side. Okay. And there is clearly a continuum between the two. So they use different meats, they have different fat contents, different nitrate contents, different like spices and seasoning used. But one could slowly tweak the formula and make a hot dog more kielbasa like until it was, you know, definitely no longer no longer a frankfurter. Right. But where where can you draw that line? And can you draw that line? I would argue maybe no. So then you open yourself up to a world where virtually any sausage on that shape bun is then a hot dog. Um, And then if if you removed the casing, is it now a fundamentally different thing? Yeah. I mean, what about a hot dog without a bun? Right. Yeah. Or, or, you know, so let's just say you have a hot dog with relatively a, a very large circumference for a hot dog okay <laughs> okay 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 and then you cut it into slices and you put that on a hot dog bun. oh okay that isn't that different from a sub no that is a sub yeah yeah so i i guess it comes down to three different philosophical approaches to what a hot dog is you could say that the hot dog is the meat product itself which the bun has no bearing over that you could say that it is the the meat in bun concept, which then opens you up to the sub theory, um, which is a, a pretty controversial theory, I think. It's compelling. It's compelling, though. There is It's an evidence-based theory uh, mm-hmm. with some logic behind it. And then another approach is that a hot dog is basically just a lifestyle or a mindset. Like, <laughs> the hot dog is more of a, a conceptual entity than it is a specific food item. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I can see that. So um, I don't really know where I, I... I'm of the opinion that a a hot dog is a sandwich. But in reality, I would actually say that the sandwich is really a hot dog. You know, I would actually kind of invert the, the, the scenario. No, I, I think I think that is a very compelling perspective. Yeah. So, let, so let's move on to the next one. Okay. Uh, a very related concept. Yeah. Staying in the hot dog family. Is a corn dog a popsicle? I would have to say 
Yes. I, I would think that the fact that it is suspended on a stick um, puts it in the popsicle family because I don't see any reason that you would have to necessarily define a popsicle as a cold treat. Um, and I, this would also apply. Do you remember when they came out with those frozen food items it, like at the grocery store where it was like um, it was like a, a breakfast sausage link on a stick wrapped in a pancake? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I'm also considering that to be a popsicle as well. And that one even comes frozen. So that, that's right on the mark. Well, most corn dogs do too. Uh, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, so what do you think? You know, it's tough to say. Because um, then, so part of the word is sickle, which okay. sounds like icicle. Or it could be indicative of like hammer and sickle. I don't <laughs> know that much about the diet in Soviet Russia. It could have been very corn dog heavy. So I, I think, you know, maybe we need to consider the etymology of the term, and neither of us are, are corn dog etymology experts. So, so we'll leave that up to, to you, dear listener. This thought just came to me. Um, I, I could have sworn I've told you this before. Um, one time I was at a university event, and someone was presenting their, um, uh, their, their dissertation topic. Mm-hmm. And they were, I believe they were in the Department of History, and their dissertation was on specifically the history of corn in Soviet Russia between uh, 1945 and 1954. It was a specific 10-year period in which they evaluated the cultural significance of corn uh, in the Soviet Union. So that actually might lend some evidence to your theory that it, it could be a different type of sickle altogether. It could be, yeah. So yeah, so if we grant that a corn dog might be a popsicle and that the defining characteristic is just that it's skewered on a stick. Then the question becomes, you know, if you remove it from the stick, is it no longer a popsicle if it was cooked on the stick? Mm. Yeah, it's not a popsicle anymore. All right, fair enough. Yeah, definitely okay. not. So strong verdict, corn dog, absolutely a popsicle. Ooh, wait one second, though. Oh, Wh- no. What about a, a shish kebab? See, so that that's where I was going with this. Uh-oh. Um, so if if one would grant that if you remove the corn dog from the stick, that it was still a popsicle, then one could say, well, what about, you know, like teriyaki chicken on a stick that you might get from Chinese carryout? Mm. If you remove it, then maybe that's still a popsicle, and then maybe chickens themselves are popsicles. <laughs> no, it's got to be on the stick. It's got to be on the stick. Okay, that makes sense. All right. Now, we have a couple other very controversial ones that we want to get through here. We want to make sure people get their answers. Um, This one is really good. Is a cereal a soup? I would say so. Um, So, you know, the first thing that may come to mind is like, oh, but but it's cold. Like, soup is generally served warm. I don't think anyone would contend that gazpacho is not a soup. Uh, Very famous cold soup. Um, so if gazpacho can be a soup, then, you know, one might say, well, you know, you're dealing with, with milk rather than some standard soup broth. Well, they're, they're a milk and cream based soup, so we can dismiss that out of hand. (laughs) Um, and then, you know, one might say the cereal pieces, that's a non-standard soup thing, but a lot of them are grain and barley based. Like you can absolutely make like a delicious barley soup. The fact that it's been processed and you know, now takes the shape of an O and is marketed by a B. (laughs) It's, it's no longer the same thing. 
I would say it still is the same thing. So yeah, absolutely. Cereal's just a cold soup. Yeah, this one with cereal and soup is one of the ones where like, I'm actually struggling to think of a counterpoint. Like, I, I think that's a very open and shut case. Cereal has to be a soup because otherwise, what is it? Yeah, it's a soup. Okay. Um, now, now we've got two that, that uh, I'm going to save one for the end for obvious reasons. Well, with, with this one, I want to introduce this one. Okay, go, go ahead. This isn't a question. This You're the is, host, so go ahead. This is a declarative statement. Okay. A lasagna is a spaghetti-flavored cake. From my limited knowledge of what cake is, that sounds correct to me. Okay. It, it's a layered cake. Yeah. Yeah, but but is absolutely a cake. Yeah, and one might say, well, the noodles in a lasagna, like that's... That's different from like standard cake, cake, you know? Okay. Um, but, oh, dang it. What are they called? The, the little like round crepes, crepes. So I've gotten into making crepes recently. The texture of like a crepe and a well, like a, a more than al dente lasagna noodle, really not all that different. And there's, there's a hot thing in kind of like the, um, like, not Etsy. What's the, what's the social media Pinterest? Pinterest, yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in like the Pinterest world these days. I have a Pinterest T-shirt. That's part of my style repertoire. Hell yeah. Yeah, it was given to me. Nice, obviously. Um, so like crepe cakes, which is essentially you make a crepe, you put a thin layer of frosting, you make another crepe, thin layer of frosting, and just stack them up until you have what people call a cake that's like 50 crepes stacked up with like thin layers of frosting in between them. Wow. Um, and so like if crepes can be used to make a cake, I don't necessarily know that a lasagna noodle is all that different. And you, you have a slightly different uh, like layer to filling ratio. Um, but yeah, I, I think I think a lasagna is a spaghetti flavored cake. Are there any other cakes that traditionally uh, feature cottage cheese in them aside from lasagna? You can use cottage cheese to make a cheesecake. Nice. So, so yeah, then it's, yeah, that works. Yeah, yeah. So most most Americans have probably either mostly had or exclusively had New York style cheesecakes, which are either only cream cheese or maybe cream cheese and ricotta. Mm-hmm. Um, but really any creamy dairy product can, can be used to make a cheesecake. Um, so I know in some other countries they use a product called quark. Um, which is like somewhere, I think, between cottage cheese and ricotta. Um, I, I know that people make like a macro-friendly dessert, which they term a cheesecake with cottage cheese. Uh, so yeah, that, that's not completely off limits. Awesome. Now we have one additional uh, question here. Do you want to do you want to dive in, or is this another one that you consider a definitive statement? No, I would say this is a question. Okay, so the question here, um, is a Pop-Tart a ravioli? I would say probably. Um, so there, there is a difference in the, you know, the, the, the doughy, weedy product surrounding the filling. Um, but I don't necessarily know that a ravioli has to be made with traditional pasta dough. Mm-hmm. I don't know, you know, I, I don't know who the god of ravioli is who would make such a designation. 
So I'm not necessarily saying that a Pop-Tart is a ravioli, but I I do think one could make that case. I, I think it's a question worth considering. I'm very interested that you have such a, such an open mind with these categorizations because when I put cottage cheese into lasagna, you throw a fit and all of a sudden you're saying that Pop-Tart is a ravioli. So where does this... Where do you draw these arbitrary distinctions? I wasn't upset about the fact that you put cottage cheese in the lasagna. Like a, a, you, a, you waged a very public war on my lasagna. No, no, no. So I did. Um, the cottage cheese, like a, a traditional lasagna is made with a bechamel. Like that's the creamy component. However, there are versions of lasagna that are made with, with cottage cheese. That's the type of lasagna that I ate growing up. Like it had cottage cheese in it. It is it is a non-traditional ingredient, but it, but it's been used long enough, especially in American cooking, that you know I, I'm not going to balk at that. It it doesn't do as good of a job at what it's supposed to do as a nice bechamel does, um, but it it does serve the same purpose. Okay. My problem was the lack of noodles. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. That was the thing that really drove you nuts. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You just don't eat them. I mean, that, that, that's really all you have to say about it. So I do think a defining characteristic of a lasagna is the fact that it has flat noodles in it. Okay, well, we agree to disagree, and I'm comfortable with that, as long as you are. Fair enough. All right. Um, well, we're about an hour in, so uh, do you want to you know, let people know to review us and where they can find us and all that stuff when we're coming back? Yeah, so if you like the podcast, you can review us uh, on iTunes or whatever, you know, whatever uh, platform you listen to the podcast on. If you're listening on YouTube, don't forget to like, comment, subscribe. Still feel like a complete piece of shit every time I say that. Uh, if you don't like the podcast, don't leave a fucking review. Um, <laughs> we, we, yeah, we've gotten plenty of that feedback. We don't need any more of it. Yeah, we look. <laughs> We know what is wrong with the show, and at this point, it should be obvious we're never going to change anything. So, your negative feedback, not only is it not welcome, it's not going to do anything. You're just wasting your own time. So, good vibes only. Good vibes only in the review section. Uh, if you want to ask a question or suggest a topic for us to talk about, either in a regular episode or on a fireside chat... You can do so at tiny.cc slash sbsqa. And uh, that's about it. Hope you guys are having fun, staying safe, and we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks for listening to the Stronger by Science podcast. Now, Greg and I are not experts in medicine or health or really anything else for that matter. So before you make any changes to your diet and exercise habits, make sure you check with a doctor or another healthcare professional. If you enjoyed this podcast and you'd like to support it, visit strongerbyscience.com to check out the products and services that we offer. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.